This is Ross. I have my co-host, Bob, and this is Worldview Matters. We're glad that you're with us. Good to be with you again, Bob. Ross, it's always a blessing to be with you. Last show, we were talking a lot about all that's been going on in the Middle East. And one of the things that we uh, began to explore is what role the United States of America might play in all that's happening in the Middle East. I've got to be honest with you. That, that's one of the questions that comes up when I talk to a lot of my colleagues and a lot of my friends, especially those who attend church or who have some kind of a, a bibliocentric, a Christocentric worldview committed to, uh, to Christian theism. They're looking at this through the eyes of Scripture, the Old, Old Testament, and the book of Revelation, and they're going, wow, I don't see anywhere in the Bible uh, a role for the United States of America to play. Of course, you know, we Americans think the, the, the sun rises and sets on America, and it very well, you know, there's a whole rest of the world out there. So well, the, the interesting thing is I've, in my lifetime, I've, it's never been a question as to how the United States should act as it relates to Israel. That's it's, exactly right. It's hard to understand. I've been, I'm fairly long in the tooth, so, uh, you know, I've been around for a while. But uh, let's say in 50 years, can you not remember a time or can you remember a time when the U.S. was ambivalent about where we stood relative to Israel? And today, I agree with you. We are relatively ambivalent, if not isolationist. And we used that term in the last show. Maybe it's a little different than isolationist in World War II, because in World War II, we saw a direct uh, impact that that war could have on us. But if you look at Iran and their arming of the Middle East and the possibility of a nuclear warhead and the ability to deliver that nuclear warhead a long distance. If you look at the isolationist situation of World War II, you could make the case today that we're at greater risk than we were then because with nuclear warheads and the ability to deliver those, we could be attacked on our continental shores today probably a lot more easily than we could have been by either Germany or Japan in the period of the early 40s because they didn't have the ability to invade our shores. Uh, we were certainly better protected at that point. So I think to say that we have a more compromised or we're, we're, we're less compromised in our ability to protect ourselves today than then, I think that that would be uh, an improper or incorrect statement. Ross, I think you're making a great point right now, and I really have a question for you about that because you really, you really are a much better World War II scholar than I am. But from my vantage point, it seems like the real risk to our, our the nation state of America has has increased due to. Uh, technology advances and the, and the ability of nation states to deliver intercontinentally uh, warheads to our shores. But the perceived risk of the average American on the street seems to have gone down. I think, I think until 9-11 happened, most Americans sort of said that that's happening way on the other side of the world and it does not affect me and mine. Let's go back to watching Alabama play Auburn. 
Let's, you know, it's in, yeah, that, that's very interesting. But you, you have to go back to April of 42. And let's just a little bit of history. In December, December the 7th of 1941, of course, the United States was attacked at Pearl Harbor. Roosevelt said, we've got to show Japan and we've got to show our own people that, that we can overcome this. And so he put together uh, a group of men headed by Jimmy Doolittle, who was an ace in World War One, And they flew off of a battleship, flew 16 B-25s off of a ship, and they attacked Japan. Now, that was, it buoyed the spirits of the United States, but it also showed Japan, we can reach you, you better be aware. We'll, they didn't didn't affect the war that much, except what it did emotionally. I think your point is correct. We have some emotional malaise, I think, right now. We're 10 years plus since 9-11 occurred. We were very attuned to the possibility of being attacked on our shores at that time. And, 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 and going back to that point, that was very, in, in, in real terms, very low technology. Uh, they used our own technologies against us. It didn't right. require exactly. GPM to deliver destruction to those to those towers. It just took some very committed uh, young men who did not regard their life on Earth as of uh, very much value compared to their martyrdom for Allah and paradise. And they were able to do that. And, and that's the kind of enemy that Israel is up against and actually we're up against. And, and this goes back to... Uh, what role might the United States play? It seems to me like that isolationist is the role that we're now adopting. I, you know, it's amazing. Even even our top political figures seem to, I know they're interested in what's going on there in the Middle East, but, you know, sometimes I wonder if we're not trying to distance ourselves between uh, from that conflict over there, from that part of the world, uh, and the average the average day in the life of your average American. So the question becomes, why are we doing that? I think that we are trying to distance ourselves in some way. Are we saying, number one, we don't want to get involved because we don't have to get involved? We don't, uh, we don't want to take sides here? And you know, that this gets into a political situation from our own standpoint here, but it was shown that we uh, were interested in, in keeping out of geopolitical phrase as best we possibly could during the last four years. So if we hide our head in the sand and say, if this doesn't affect us, won't affect us, go at your, on your own terms, I think we have a problem as a nation. Well, I think you're right. And I think that the last election bore out the evidence that we are moving back toward an isolationist policy. It's interesting to me that I read a statistic the other day that um, you would think that American Jews would be very, very, really only about 10% uh, of, of voted for uh, policies that would support Israel. And 90% of American Jews really voted uh, a secularist political agenda, which, which tells me that 
our culture, worldview-wise, is becoming more and more and more secular, more and more committed to naturalism, more and more committed, and we keep tossing these terms around, scientific atheism, and all of these support an isolationist policy. So I think one of the possibilities is that the United States will become more and more isolationist in hopes that uh, the jihadists might leave us alone. I don't think that's going to happen personally. If you well, I think, you see, I think a person could be Jewish by heritage and have a worldview that's more of a secular humanist because that's exactly they're not. Happening. They're not. Yeah, they're not looking at it from a religious standpoint. They're saying, "Oh, well, geopolitically, socioeconomically." Uh, this is my view. Now, absolutely, I come from the, a Jewish background, born of Jewish parents, but you know, I'm not an Orthodox Jew. I don't adhere to all of the religious overtones that relate to Israeli SF. Now, I want my people to be protected over there, but you know, it only goes so far. Well, actually, there's probably more of a concern for Israel among American evangelicals than there are among among the Jewish. Uh, race in America, because I think American evangelicals see Israel as being very, very central to what happens in the end times. And it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that Christians in America might be more supportive of what's happening uh, foreign policy-wise in Israel than even the Jews in America are. But, Ross, again, we see even that declining. We see more and more Christians saying, ah, look, that's really not my problem. And, uh, you know, we need to be focused on America and what's going on here and less focused on what's going around the world. So, again, that's the isolationist policy uh, posture, if you will. But it's supported by a worldview, isn't it? You know, it seems like that we have a tendency to uh, pull away from conflict. Conflict in and of itself is not bad. How you deal with conflict is can be bad, can be good. But life in great part is dealing with conflict and the consequences of, of decisions. And well, I believe you made, point, you made a point that's very interesting. I think that that conflict in and of itself is not bad. Unfortunately, conflict often leads to disrupting our lifestyle. It does. I mean, whether, whether it's me and my wife having an argument over the dinner table or, uh, you know, our, our, uh, a nation states warring against each other, it has a way of disrupting your personal choices and lifestyle in a given day, doesn't it? And I think people in general are saying, you know, don't bug me with this. I've got enough to deal with myself. And certainly we do have economic chaos to some degree in the United States. We've got a stated unemployment rate of 8%, but a realistic unemployment rate in a na- neighborhood of 14%. You've got Commodity prices increasing, but the the viewpoint that we have inflation in check. So I think people are dealing with a lot of different things, and they don't want to have to deal with this. But many times, conflict is brought upon us, and we're forced to deal with things that we've kind of slid aside and not wanted to deal with as we've kind of walked down the path, so to speak. You know, we started this show by talking about how the average person on the street may be wondering, especially if they are of the Christian persuasion, what role America might play 
in this Middle East conflict. And one of the ones we've been talking about is we're just going to put our heads in the sand. We're going to be isolationists. But you just bring up another point that there could be a second scenario. And that is that the, that the United States is so marginalized economically that we end up becoming a non-factor. I mean, let's be honest. We've been able to help Israel in the past because we've been able to send them arms and and uh, and and foreign aid and all kinds of other things. But if our economy continues to decline, we may be sitting on the sidelines economically in this whole in this whole matter. Well, to to a degree, I think we have to be because money can only go so far. You can only stretch a dollar and and cut parts of it off and send it to certain areas to solve certain problems. And already we're faced with significant amounts of foreign aid that we give, and a lot of it goes to to cause us problems. You know, you would go back to the time when the shoulder-fired missiles, we provided them to the Afghani rebels to defeat the Russians, and now we're over there, they're fighting us with our own products. Right. And so... Uh, if, but we do have a problem. There's just not enough money to go around to take care of all the social programs that politicians want for our own country as we're, and then to deal with foreign aid that, that continually is on the increase. And there's just so much money to go around. Well, and of course, then there's always the scenario that um, we may not be sitting one out economically or we may not isolate ourselves, but... We might be so crippled uh, by terrorism that we aren't able to participate the way that we want to. I think, you know, preemptive strikes might be used against us. And as you said a moment ago, Iran is doing everything it can, fueled by the Russian nuclear um, industry, to form its own nuclear uh, industry. And what they're looking for, as we all know, is weapons-grade uh, weapons grade technology. And, uh, you know, our, our borders are so porous, Ross, it wouldn't take much to, to, uh, to sneak some nuclear devices up from Mexico uh, into some of our major cities. And all it would take would be not, not, you know, catastrophic strikes, but strategic strikes. And we might be on the sidelines that way. Well, you think about this. Now, in the news, many politicians have said Iran does not they're not even at the point of being able to create a nuclear weapon. They have to have 20% pure uranium, and they're not there yet. And when they do get there, they don't have the ability to deliver that warhead a long distance. And then Biden said, we will know when they're ready. And I thought, how in heaven's name do you think we will know? Are you privy to the meetings that take place in Iran? And if you look at the Benghazi situation, did they know or did they not know what was going on over there? So these people try to tell us that they know what's going on. And I think that they're they're deluding themselves to think that and then trying to convince us that they know what is going on. Is Iran trying to get a nuclear weapon? My guess is that they're trying. They are hell-bent for leather to try to get one and get the ability to deliver it. And if you look at that worldview, if they do get it and do deliver it, it may be too late for us to be able to make a significant difference in what happens. I appreciate you bringing us back to the worldview issue because everything that we're talking about in the geopolitical sector, and there's been a lot of that discussion in this show and the one before that we've 
that we just did, but uh, supporting that, supporting the geopolitical, the socioeconomic issues are these worldview issues. And, uh, you know, and, and so we see, we see Islam becoming more and more and more radical, more and more committed to uh, a jihadist mentality. At the same time, we see America becoming more and more and more secular in its worldview. So there's less of a muscle mass, theologically, if you will, both on the Judeo side and the Christian side, to stand up against this growing threat in the Middle East. So behind all the geopolitical maneuvering, Ross, there is this worldview that's taking place. Uh, American life is being uh, riddled, uh, honeycombed with secularism. The idea that, hey, uh, there is no hereafter, there is no God, there is no hope. The best thing we can do is live for here and now. And boy, you see that across American life, don't you? It's like everybody's either trying to distract themselves with amusements, store up uh, wealth and money to, uh, to protect themselves, but there doesn't seem to be a growing repository of wisdom taking place in American life these days. And that's a product of our worldview. Well, I don't think we're going to be able to sit it out. The question is, how are we going to be involved? We're going to be involved economically. We're going to be cheerleaders from the side. Are we going to send in arms? Are we going to send in strike force in the air? So it's a matter of what is going to be the way that we're going to be involved because we are going to be involved. We cannot not be involved. And it's just a matter of degree and timing and intensity. You know, you're bringing up a great point. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of how and when. And I would hope, I know we're all hoping this, I know our listeners are hoping this, that wisdom might govern whatever choices, whatever actions we might take. And the irony of it is, it seems like that wisdom as a commodity is becoming less and less prevalent in American life. I mean, all it takes is watching some of the reality shows for us to realize that wisdom seems to have gone the way of the dodo in our culture. And, uh, and wisdom is a very precious commodity uh, always in the life, whether it's the life of the man on the street or the life of the guy who's just in the White House. We need wisdom to prevail. You know, it, there are a lot of factors here. You got knowledge, you got wisdom, you got insight, and then you have judgment. How do you put all those things together? Knowledge is probably the easiest part of it. Insight uh, in seeing how these chess games, I guess knowledge maybe is two dimensional if you want to look at it that way. Insight maybe added, adds another dimension to it. Wisdom is, it tells you how to deal with all these things. You know, Bob, really, this, this involves a number of different things. Knowledge, wisdom, uh, insight, uh, understanding how to apply these things. And to do that, you have to have some sort of institutional memory. Obviously, we didn't live 4,000 years ago, but it doesn't mean we can't study and we can gain knowledge about what happened, wisdom about how that affected life in those days, a judgment about how this should cause us to act, an insight into how it should cause us to try to deal with this, because 
This is not a new conflict. There's nothing new about this. It's in a different time, using different tools, with different people in conflict, but the issues are pretty much the same. Well, you're exactly right, Ross, and it's interesting that you reference the fact that this current conflict going on in Israel and, and the United States' role in that conflict really does have uh, a basis, a root in how people view the world. You, you know, it's interesting that the Gaza Strip is actually in the old territory of the Philistine nations. And, it, you know, when King David, boy, I'm really taking us back a while here, Ross, back in history, but when King David, the first great king of the Jews after Saul was deposed, when King David was pulling together his cabinet, his, uh, his mighty men of valor who were going to help him go out and fight the Philistines, there's, a, there's an, a, a little small, almost obscure reference in First Chronicles, back in the Old Testament. I think it's in chapter 12, verse 30, 32 in there somewhere, where it says, And of the sons of Issachar, people who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. You know, Ross, that really is at the heart of this worldview show. We're hoping that that there'll be modern-day sons of Issachar raised up, people who have wisdom, people with insight, people with knowledge and understanding of what we need to do in our days. And and, and that's really what a what worldview does for us. Having a, a comprehensive understanding of our worldview gives us the ability to look at the world around us, whether it's our everyday world or whether it's the world of the Middle East, and know how we should act, how we should live, how we should make choices that will stand us in good stead, both in this life and also in the life that's coming. Bob, what is that scripture reference that you just quoted about the sons of Issachar? First, First Chronicles 12, I think it's verse 32. I don't have it right on my screen, but I think that's about where it is. You know, the, if, if you look at this situation only from a geopolitical um, or socioeconomic worldview, you're missing a lens, I think. You have to look at it through the eyes of history, the eyes of judgment that comes, and then also from the spiritual and religious standpoint. Either that land is the land of the Jews, as the Bible says, or it's not. And if it is... You cannot take the scriptural and the spiritual out of this conflict at all. It's almost like lying in the sun and putting on sunglasses and taking the lens out of one side of your sunglasses. So now you've either got to look at the sun directly through and let it burn your, your eye, or you've got to keep that eye closed to, to be able to not uh, hurt you. And I think that that's what we're doing. We're entering this conflict with one eye closed. And if that is, that is certainly a very, very foolish position to be in. And Ross, that's why this show is on the air. You and I both know and believe that worldview really does matter. It was Jesus who said, if your lens, if the lens of your eye is clear, then your whole body will be full of light. And I, and I interpret that to mean you'll have the capacity to know how to live life well in a world that is filled with danger. 
or whether it's danger on the on the on main street or danger coming from the Middle East, it's still filled with danger. But people with a good worldview will be able to understand that. It's also interesting to me, and I know we're just about out of time. I was just in my Bible reading this morning, reading that passage in Matthew where Jesus was lamenting the fact that the Jews didn't embrace him as the Messiah. And he said, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And of course, that's a reference to Psalm 118 that the Jews are quoting today as they look for the for their Messiah to emerge. So, you know what, these things really do have religious, political, historical, all kinds of, in, of implications in our everyday life because worldview really does matter. Absolutely, and that's a, probably a good stopping point. I hope that uh, people will let us know what they think about these comments, and we're open to constructive criticism. We're open to arguing with people arguing with us if they'd like to to do that. But let me also mention the other shows that are on Big Brains Media. Obviously, Weather Brains, which is James Fan's show that's been around for a long time, continues to be available and draws fantastically large crowds. The second oldest one is called Just Talking It Up, where Crash and Janet talk about anything and everything and it's a very spirited show. There are two football shows. One is Auburn Unleashed, and the second is Bama Talk. Two ladies have one called Eavesdrop, and then, of course, you have Worldview Matters. And just remember that these are available to you on iTunes, on Stitcher, or your favorite uh, Facebook podcast app, or you can go directly to Big Brains Media and they'll all be available right there. Thanks to James, and thanks to JP, and Bob, thanks to you. Great to be with you. I think we've uh, we've unpacked some things. Maybe we need to deal with them again. We'll sort of see how things go between now and the next week, and uh, look forward to seeing you then, my friend. Thanks to you too, Ross, and let's keep reminding people that worldview really does matter. Absolutely. This has been Worldview Matters, brought to you by Big Brains Media. To leave feedback for Ross or Bob, visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com.